Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very senior professional entrepreneur and an executive from the US, Mr. Joe Robert Thornton. Joe, welcome to the show. Good morning, Ashutosh. Thank you. Uh, Joe is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of HMS Host. He's an author, and a lot of you know that I'm very partial to authors. Uh, he's an author of a book titled The Power of Or, Choosing and Doing What Matters Most. Uh, he's also written uh, on the hostility of change, breaking through deep-seated barriers. He's the founder of uh, Visionary Brands, and his earliest spent time with Starbucks and Jamba Juice. So Joe, what an amazing career you seem to have had, but I'll get to know more about you now. So let's talk about HMS Host. Uh, first, tell me about HMS Host, and then I'll ask you what goes into building a brand, a food brand. Yeah, thank you. You know, HMS Host is a company that not everyone will know the name because in essence, we're a brand behind a brand. Uh -huh. So if you travel anywhere in... Uh, 77 airports here in the United States, we operate all of the key brands that you're familiar with. Uh, okay. Starbucks, HMS Host uh, runs Chili's, uh, Chick-fil-A, et cetera. Uh, but we also operate local brands for airports, and mm -hmm. we also have built our own proprietary brand. So that portfolio is the restaurant uh, group that we operate and that I manage. Mm -hmm. And the you know, you're giving me a lot of brands, and I, I've Tried all of them at so many airports in America. So now I know the man behind them. Uh, but tell me, uh, when you look at food at airports, what are some of your challenges? Because, you know, you've got tired, hungry passengers looking for fresh food. What are some of your challenges? Well, you know, our, our tagline is we want people to feel good on the move. Mm -hmm. And we understand that many people will only fly one or two times in their lifetime. Obviously, uh, we have frequent travelers as well, mm -hmm. but understanding the stress that comes along with travel in normal times, but obviously okay. the last 21 months have been a greater challenge for the business and for travelers. Mm -hmm. And you know, at this current time, the biggest challenges are supply chain, which affects many industries right now. Uh, the need for staffing, which is a big challenge. Mm -hmm. And I would say there's a little bit of a strain on the cost model. Right. You know, everything from the investment in PPE at the beginning of uh, the pandemic to keep our associates safe, but also investments in technology and, mm -hmm. and just the uh, funding that the airlines received during the pandemic, but not necessarily in our space. So how do we partner and survive uh, the pandemic is really been our focus. Mm -hmm. But in general... Uh, we're very aware that there's so many decisions that a passenger has to make from the time they walk in the doors of the airport. Uh, and we, we really believe that in our space, we can help uh, create a little bit of normalcy, particularly with brands and, and uh, concepts that they're familiar with in mm -hmm. this kind of unfamiliar space. Wow. And uh, Joe, you worked with Starbucks and Jamba Juice. Uh, tell me, what were some of your learnings from these uh, large organizations that you brought to HMS Host? 
Yeah, you know, I spent uh, a number of years at Starbucks and, you know, I'd summarize it this way. There's three really key takeaways that Mm -hmm. I learned uh, in my 11 years at Starbucks. One is about this frequency of the brand. Mm -hmm. You know, there are very few brands and argue, if if any, in the United States that people come to as often as a Starbucks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's literally a daily habit for a large percentage of the customers. And so you get to know them on a personal basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are customers you could set your watch by. You knew what time they were coming every day wow. and you knew exactly what they're ordering. So mm-hmm. it, it was a level of familiarity that really no other brand has. Um, the second learning, though, is that in some respects, this may be surprising to hear the Starbucks is a polarizing brand mm-hmm. here in the United States. Either people absolutely love it mm-hmm. or they've never been in. Wow. And so much of what we uh, stood for, and it's really the third point, Mm. is, you know, this prioritization of people and building culture Mm. and having the courage to stand for what's right in the communities. And for the most part, that was embraced. And other times it might have been a challenge, but we we felt like that was important, that we had a social thread uh, in this uh, what we call the third place, because people went to Starbucks for a whole host of reasons in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Now, what I would share with you is going to Jamba Juice is a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. It was a brand that had been early on in the health and wellness space, mm-hmm. but had seen other brands pass them up over the years. It became mm-hmm. a very crowded space mm-hmm. and they had really innovated. Um, and so for me coming in, it was a business transformation. Mm-hmm. How do we take this relatively small public company mm-hmm. that really needed to be private mm-hmm. and fix the engine, you know, the operations, the marketing, the IT, and do it all while being public. Okay. So it was an, an incredible case study of the challenges that uh, if you put them all in the same place in a brand, that's mm-hmm. where they showed up uh, in Jamba Juice. But I would also say, you know, the challenge of not being the industry leader mm-hmm. and when you're fighting for market share was something that was unfamiliar with me from mm-hmm. Starbucks days where we led the marketplace. And prior to that, I spent 14 years at Blockbuster Video, where we also were the leader industry, the clear leader. So you didn't wake up with that focus. And you had other challenges, but that was the difference at Jamba Juice. Incredible. So, you know, uh, Joe, when I was uh, building a chain of retail pharmacies in India, uh, India is a, is a continent and so is America. My question to you is that how did you manage or what were your challenges in managing across cultures in the U.S.? Yeah, I think we're constantly challenged with that. In fact, the 2020 census numbers really demonstrated how much has changed in the last decade here Mm -hmm. in the United States. Um, Obviously, the the incredible growth of the Hispanic population, Mm -hmm. uh, but also just the the nature of understanding people on an individual basis, which Mm -hmm. is certainly a function of the younger generations and kind of pushing us to be better and to be different. I think organizations have had to uh, spend the time getting to know their people better. And Mm -hmm. I would say that's one of the things we did a very good job of at Starbucks that we were building at Jamba Juice. And frankly, we're learning now at HMS Host. Uh, And once you know that information, what is it that you do with it? Do you offer different benefits? Mm -hmm. Uh, how do you provide some of the decision-making in the field where you're going to get a diverse uh, level of insight? So it's an exciting journey to be on because, uh, again, we're learning things that, uh, and I don't think generations in the past ever asked about mm. their employees. Mm. Interesting. 
the other question that I had was on technology. How is technology changing food retail? And when you are in airports, you are really at the cutting edge of technology. So how is how over the over your so many years of experience as a food retailer, how has technology started to change the business? Well, it's a good question. And the answer is in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, I think most people in this industry uh, and in retail in general would say the last 21 months have mm-hmm. pushed us mm-hmm. to, to go faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to the pandemic, there were certainly some what I'll call baseline technologies that we were working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ability to order from a kiosk in the airport, the ability uh, to use a QR code to order mm-hmm. at a table. Mm-hmm. And those technologies were accelerated. Uh, it became a need because the desire for the passenger to have a contactless transaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think, though, we, we've understood uh, so many things outside the airport that need mm-hmm. to show up in the airport. For example, uh, we are working and doing testing with Uber Eats mm-hmm. uh, to bring the food experience to the passenger on the way to the airport, wow. as well as once they're beyond security, is there a way to use Uh, lockers and systems that we've seen on the street uh, to put food in a central place for people to go. Mm -hmm. Because we know the biggest pressure in the airport is speed and time is limited. And for most travelers, it's simply getting through security and getting to the gate. Uh, And there's so many things along that journey that we're trying to make as simple as possible Mm -hmm. uh, for that passenger. But at the end of it all, um, we are doing our best to emulate the experiences that people have outside of the airport. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I would share on that is at the Starbucks locations that we run uh, almost exclusively across the United States mm-hmm. in the airport, we're now introducing mobile order and pay very okay. similar to the street side experience mm-hmm. uh, because with the demand in the airport with people in line you can only serve so many people, mm-hmm. but with this freedom with mobile order and pay, the passenger can decide at whatever point in their journey, they can put in their order and be confident when they arrive at the store that their, their order is ready. So that's going to be a complete game changer. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting you're talking about uh, trying to get food delivered as passengers board, because I have seen this as an international traveler in the U.S., that if I buy anything duty free, the shop doesn't give it to me. It is delivered to me as I board on uh, the aerobridge, which means that you already have systems in place. And US is the only country that I have seen this happening. That's right. So you have an efficient yeah, so system. I, yeah, so I think we've, we've learned that um, the way that we did business in the airports before isn't necessarily the way we have to do it in the future. Mm-hmm. The other thing I will share and what's exciting about introducing new technology at this time mm-hmm. is that one of the biggest takeaways of the pandemic here in the United States is that we've seen a huge influx of first-time travelers. Mm. I mean, yes, we've seen fewer international because the borders were closed. We've seen fewer business travelers. Mm. But this influx of of first-time travelers is higher than probably any time since airlines were deregulated in 1974. That's how Mm. dramatic it is. Mm. And so now we have a chance to show something new to a whole new uh, set of customers. Amazing. That's amazing information, which then is an interesting segue to my next question, which is that how are the millennials and the Gen Zs, and a lot of them may probably be first time travelers or early sets of travelers, 
how are they impacting your business um, in terms of what uh, you have to do to fulfill their requirements? Well, the first thing I tell you is they're the most dynamic cohorts we've seen in, in this country in many generations. And I'm, I'm uh, incredibly excited about that opportunity of how we engage them differently. And, and mm-hmm. to your point, the U.S. traveler has, uh, has gotten younger mm-hmm. uh, over the last decade or so. And particularly now where the business traveler approach has been fragmented, right? Mm-hmm. We, we see uh, many people who are working from home. We believe that there's a percentage of that that will stay in place even beyond the end of the pandemic. We believe there's people that will work over Zoom and, and other uh, formats as we are today. Um, and we also believe people are just demanding that flexibility. So uh, employers have to flex to that. In the airport, I do think it's about, to your point, delivery and, and order ahead and things that they're familiar with, they're expecting that to show up in the environment. So um, I believe we will have to continue to do that because mm. our passengers change again dramatically for the first time in many, many years. Mm. Interesting. And you just, you know, you spoke about the pandemic and I have a follow-up question on work from home for you. Uh, do you think there's an opportunity for airport food retail to start servicing the needs of people who are beginning to work from home? Because in the U.S., airports are very, very well located. So is there yeah, an opportunity I, for you for, as a new segment for you? I believe it can be. Um, I think as we reestablish the core business, and, and frankly, that's happening relatively fast. Most U.S. airlines are back to about 85% of their 2019 numbers. What they're largely missing are, of course, some of the frequent business travelers and, of course, international. Even though the borders just opened up November 8th, it may take some time for Mm -hmm. that to accelerate. But we do know that as people are working remote, um, one viability is the lounge business in the airport, mm-hmm. whether it's American Airlines, United, Delta, British Airways, et cetera, that business is continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. I think what people are finding is they can gain a lot more productivity in the airport, mm-hmm. uh, not just layovers, but sometimes being intentional about spending more time. And so in our business at HMS Host, uh, we actually operate all the American Airlines lounges in the United States. So we're learning over the last two and a half years, that lounge business as well. Mm. And we see huge opportunities there. Amazing, amazing. So one more question relating to uh, airport host, uh, HMS host, before I move to your books. Uh, You must be leading large teams of people across 77 airports. What would you say is your leadership style? Yeah, the first part of it is, I would say it's collaborative. It's highly Mm -hmm. collaborative. Mm -hmm. And for me coming to this brand last year, uh, in fact, I started on March 9th at mm-hmm. HMS Host, literally the first day of the pandemic. Okay. Uh, and unfortunately, we had to furlough many of our associates, close many, many locations. Of course, we're now on the rebound. Mm-hmm. But in that process, you know, learning a lot about the business required a lot of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And what I've always said is that even, even the times of collaboration of two people doesn't mean one plus one equals two. Mm-hmm. The good news is it's always more than one, mm-hmm. right? There's always some additional contribution. Sure. And sure. so part of my role as COO is ensuring that 
the entire organization works together from mm -hmm. operations to HR to finance to IT, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so to me, there's there's power there. And we've learned to do it in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. Just like this over video, but to, to take those opportunities um, to get insight in a very tenured business where we mm -hmm. have longstanding associates, uh, the curiosity is another part of my leadership style. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I really encourage that in, in all the people that work for me and with me, which is to stay curious about your function, about the world around you. And frankly, what we thought we knew uh, today may not be true tomorrow. So um, the last piece I would share is highly innovative. Um, I don't believe that there is a finish line uh, to the work that we do. And I, you know, I recall watching an interview uh, about 20 years ago, almost to mm -hmm. the day, Mm -hmm. And there was a discussion about the growth of Amazon mm -hmm. and the interviewer asked the question, you know, how big could Amazon be? And could it mm -hmm. be bigger than Sears at the time? <laughs> okay. And the person who was responding said, absolutely not. There is not a chance that uh, Sears, this, yes. this retailer that owns that space could yeah. be surpassed by Amazon. We've obviously seen how that story has played out. Yes. So you have to believe in possibilities. Mm. Well said, well said. So, Joe, now let's move to your books. Uh, you bring two books. Uh, tell me about both your books uh, and what was your hypothesis when you wrote about wrote both the books? Yeah, so, you know, I was really excited to write um, the first book, The Power of Ore. Mm -hmm. uh, the way I would describe it to you is that I had been walking around for years mm -hmm. uh, with this idea and what I really learned about the human behavior mm -hmm. um, one is it's very difficult to live one way at work in a very different way at home. Mm. Uh, it's the blended life that we have, right? I'd see people operate with two calendars, mm -hmm. the work calendar and the home calendar. Yeah. And um, what I believe happens most often here in the United States is when you attempt to do that, you defer to the work calendar first. Mm. And I think we make a lot of sacrifices in our personal life. Yeah. So the power of or at its very core is a book about pragmatism. Mm -hmm. How do we deal with the day-to-day -day life? And so, you know, one of the chapters in the book is called saying no, Yep. you know, and having that power to say no, whether it's to a work project or something that's going to compromise that personal time, we often say yes in the interest of growing our careers. But if it's going to sacrifice, again, some things that are mm -hmm. important in your personal life, mm -hmm. we have to figure out how to get beyond that. But the book also goes into things like decision fatigue. Mm. You know, we're bombarded with thousands of messages every day, yeah. social media and otherwise, and we get decision fatigue. And the mm. question is, do you leave time for the most important decisions? Are you doing them at the time where you've got the most energy? Well, that's and so I go into that in the book. But in the end, it really is. And I would say it's more geared towards young leaders, mm -hmm. right? As you go on that journey of building your career and building family and friendships and all those things that you keep that balance. Mm -hmm. And so it gives some great guidance, some, some learning experience that I've had over the years about um, how do you focus on the things that matter most? You know, this is so fantastic about the, power, the ability to say no, because I have in one of my books also a similar chapter. And I've also often said people in India or managers in India do not have the courage to say no. So now you and I have just have to meet sometime when I'm in the U.S. and discuss the power of no. But uh, tell me about your, uh, the other book, The Hostility of Change. Yeah, you know, after I wrote 
um, the power of or. Uh, I had taken off, by the way, 16 months uh, from work. Okay. I left John McDuff, sold the company. It went private as it needed to. So I decided this is that time. So I wrote The Power of War, but I got so excited about writing. And I know you know this as being an author of multiple books, is that then you can't stop writing. Absolutely. And so I decided to start the second book immediately. And I only completed about 40% of it before I came to work at Jamba Juice last year. Mm -hmm. But I was committed that no matter what, I was going to continue to write. And, it, and interestingly, it ended up being great therapy mm -hmm. to offset, you know, the just complete chaos of what the, the work environment created with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, but the hostility of change, uh, breaking through deep-seated barriers is about the challenges that change creates. Mm -hmm. I think so often businesses focus on the principles of change. You know, you create manuals and rollouts and all these materials, but then you put this thing, whatever it is, out into your organization. Mm -hmm. And six months later, you're asking the question, why didn't it stick? Why didn't the change stick? Yeah. And so often it's because we, we don't address the emotional part of change. Mm -hmm. You know, it's beyond just what's in it for people. It's that um, most often you can tell someone that there's a good change coming and they'll still reject it because it's change, Correct. even if it's good for them. So I do think as leaders, this is a great manual of storytelling mm -hmm. and principles on how do you deal with the resistance to change? Mm -hmm. How do you deal with those who are somewhat nefarious mm -hmm. uh, when change is introduced? Uh, they can sabotage, very strong word, they can sabotage the attempt to change. But then how do you leverage people that are change agents? And I talk about in the book that really only about 15% mm -hmm. of people are change agents. The rest are change averse. Absolutely. And so it's how do you influence people through that uh, process? And so I really go on a, a deep journey about change in that book. Amazing. And are both these books available on Amazon? Uh, they both are available on Amazon. In fact, I published The Power of War February of last year. Okay. I published uh, The Hostility of Change February of this year. Okay. And even in the midst of the pandemic, I've made sure they're available on all formats uh, for anyone who's interested. Terrific. So is there a new one coming in February of 2022? There is. I'm <laughs> okay. uh, working on it. That's, uh, again, you can't <laughs> stop writing, correct? Absolutely. Uh, so it's called um, The Depths of Mediocrity, uh, Eliminating Indifference. Mm -hmm. And I think in this, uh, the tagline I would give you is that I would prefer for someone to show love mm -hmm. or even hate, but to show no emotion, I think is the challenge that this book presents, right? The indifference, the apathy that people may have. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I believe as a leader, when you when you show passion for the things you believe in, yeah. that inspires other people. Amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Joe, on that note, we have to stop now. We're running out of time. But thank you. It's been such a privilege speaking to you. Thank you for talking to me at such length about airport retail, about your experiences with Starbucks and Jamba Juice. Uh, about how the millennials are really changing the world. And I've often said that, you know, this earth was completely messed up by people of my generation. And I have a lot of faith in what the millennials are doing and hopefully they'll correct the mess we can. Absolutely. Do. 
And thank you again for talking to me about your book, both your current books and all the very best for your forthcoming book. I'll, I'll certainly Thanks. watch out for the third one coming out. Uh, thank you again and good luck. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.